Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 294 of the Fun with Cars, Formula One, and other motorsports podcasts, but not this episode, or episode 28 of 2021. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man who just erased Christian Horner from his Christmas card list, Christopher Roche. Hey, Chris. Hey, Robin. It is Monday evening, July 19th, and Chris and I are going to talk about the British Grand Prix. And, of course, we have to start with the big news. We can't. There's no holding back. George Russell didn't score a point, and it looked so promising. I'm sure that's what you want to talk about, right, Chris? Uh, I tell you something. He's going to be out qualifying Valtteri Bottas very soon. I mean, eighth on the grid. Uh, well, eighth uh, for the sprint. I mean, that's exceptional in a Williams. Eighth? What would you call that? The pre-grid? The sprint grid? I mean, what would yeah. you even call that? I call it the traditional qualifying order pre-sprint. Yeah, it, just, you know, the, it just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> well, my wheel-to-wheel event is still what I'm sticking with for now. Yeah, the Sky Sports team was certainly struggling with that as they were commentating on the sprint qualifying because it was nonsensical to not call it a race. But I actually want to start with a longtime listener of our podcast, actually, long before you came on the scene, Mr. Roche, and his oh. name is Paul Peard. And Paul wrote a comment about sprint qualifying on our Fun With Cars Facebook page. And, Paul, I want to say, again, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to write this. And so, Paul Peard said, and I quote, Sprint qualifying. Nope. Same issues as the race. A short race with predictable outcome all over in a half a lap. Not enough time for strategy play. Too much time for hounding of an opponent into an error because of normal tire challenges. And the grid is no different, except perhaps for Alonso. I guess free choice of tires for the race is different, but we didn't need the sprint race to make that a thing. Too much to lose, not enough to win. Perhaps, maybe... If they had special sprint race tires that you could push all the way through the race, and then there might be an angle. But it's a no from me. So, that is uh, that is the opinion of uh, one of our listeners. What was your opinion of the first sprint qualifying, Mr. Roche? I can certainly see that viewpoint. I think, personally, I enjoyed the reformat the weekend. It made Friday relevant. I enjoyed, I enjoyed having... Uh, a little race on Saturday and then obviously the Grand Prix still was the big daddy and lived up to expectations on Sunday uh, but I, 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 I kind of understand that it felt like the sprint was too long it, maybe they need to make it like half as long half the length you know nine or ten laps because it did settle down um, and just became like the first stint of a regular GP and, and so there's definitely some work to be done but in terms of the overall weekend and uh, and flow I think there's some merits there and I, I will take issue with the fact that you know that the the grid for the race would have been quite different if we hadn't had the sprint race I mean obviously Alonso uh, is the obvious one but uh, obviously Russell ended up losing so did Sainz so did Perez um, and of course Hamilton wasn't on pole for the Grand Prix thanks to the sprint so it did uh, it did add an element of uh, of a lottery um, and and mixed up the order a little bit. Maybe not as much as we might have wanted, but really, I don't think anyone really expected it to completely transform the running order, did they? So uh, I think the result was slightly predictable, but it certainly it did add an extra dimension to the weekend for me. Well, you could make an argument that what we're about to talk about in a few minutes' time would never have happened if the sprint qualifying had not happened. I agree with you entirely, yep. But I'll tell you, my biggest issue with it wasn't the sprint qualifying wheel-to-wheel event itself, but actually the knockout qualifying that happened Friday before because it was a brilliant, really fascinating, really exciting knockout qualifying we saw George Russell, what was it? I think he ended up eighth in Q3. We saw Hamilton take the pole. We saw a lot of interesting events that would have had a lot of consequences for the Grand Prix. 
But it wasn't for the Grand Prix. It was for this little sprint race. And there was this odd tension. It's like, okay, we have this big knockout qualifying that was kind of built there to build up the drama to the big race. But it wasn't for the big race. It was for just yet another qualifying. Q4, you could call it almost. (laughs) And for me really takes the edge off of knockout qualifying and makes it feel almost like a farce. And I'm sure that Alonzo would take issue with what I just said, and George Russell Russell would completely agree with me. So I think we talked about this before. I mean, I'm old enough to remember having two qualifying sessions, one on Friday, one on Saturday. And sometimes... The, the, the race order was set on Friday because of weather and other factors. So I guess maybe that's why I have less of a problem with it. And maybe if you've only watched Formula One with Saturday qualifying, it jars. But I remember being able to recover and continue to watch when Friday qualifying got axed. And we just had the one session on a Saturday. I mean, it, it's an adjustment period. I mean, I think, I think the biggest issue with this format is that you'll never get used to it because it's going to be so rare. I think even, even best case scenario from, from the uh, F1 perspective is that it won't be every race that will have this format. So it'll always be slightly random. And so it'll always feel slightly jarring potentially because we'll always be used to the standard, standard setup. I think that might be its biggest issue because if you ran it every weekend, we'd probably all get used to it and we'd stop talking about it. But when it happens every you know, sixth Grand Prix, every time we're going to be like, well, that was weird. Yeah, no, uh, I, I agree with you there. And as a trial, I, I will say that I 100% respect the fact that Formula One took the bold step to try it. That you have to respect, that they were willing to make a change, try something different. So that part I respect. Um, but I think that, as you said, I can, I can see Paul Peart's point of view and your point of view as well is like, obviously, this wouldn't be the final product. It was an understandable trial run, but some tweaks should be made, certainly. And I think the best point Paul Peart made is that, you know, some tweaks to tire to really even have like a special sprint qualifying tire of some sort, that would be potentially compelling and add a new dimension to the race. And But there's this really weird thing going on with how sprint qualifying affects race strategy and all these things. But I guess that is ultimately a benefit of sprint qualifying. Is it does add another layer of questions of how will the race play out. But, uh, you know, there are a couple things that happen in sprint qualifying that are definitely worth talking about. Namely, Fernando Alonso's epic first lap in that Saturday event. It was extremely effective yeah 11th to 5th unbelievable really vintage Alonso wasn't it it was uh, he was very smart on his line selection through the first uh, sequence of turns I mean I guess he was still passing up to cops right and uh, and really really good really good effort and getting ahead of the McLarens uh, one of the Ferraris um, and Sebastian Vettel who never actually got got back past him in fact Alonso's fine start in the sprint basically ended Vettel's race in the race proper. So, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was it was awesome, and he you know he hung, he uh, clung on, so he ended up with a seventh uh, grid position for the race thanks to the sprint. So he gained four places, um, and was yeah it was definitely worth the, worth the the, uh, the cost of the sprint alone, I think. And went on to finish seventh in the Grand Prix. I mean, Mm -hmm. he gained so much from that. Absolutely. And um, then there was uh, George Russell. He had that amazing qualifying run on Friday. And then just everything fell apart in that sprint race. He ended up up finishing, what was it? It Was it 12th? No, he fin- no, 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 no. So he finished ninth on the on the track. So he actually lost just one place, which wasn't bad. Oh, but then and he, then it was he the, collided it was with Carlos penalty. Sainz, yeah, yes, in, into Brooklyn, yes, yes, yes. and amazingly got a penalty for it. And I don't think he deserved a three grid place penalty. Um, Why? Because he's too tall. Is it his height? Is it too tall? For the- <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you know, all weekend we heard about how there's more leniency on the first couple of laps. Oh no, let's slap everyone with penalties. I mean, ridiculous, honestly. I mean, Carlos, it did damage his race, but I mean, I don't think anything anyone was doing anything too heinous. Uh, so poor old George, yeah, got hit with a three-place penalty, which meant he was 12th on the grid for, for the race on Sunday. Um, but yeah, the biggest... and that was another quick, real quick though, that was another fascinating part about the sprint, sprint qualifying was that it was something that the stewards quickly said, we'll look at this after the race or after the qualifying. And I felt a little bit like, God, that happened on the first lap. Hmm. I I would have preferred they just dealt with it in the like cost him five seconds or whatever and then see where he would have ended up as a result as opposed to just hitting him with three places afterwards. To me, that was the worst part about it. Yeah, yeah, it was unfortunate and he sort of never recovered from that, did he? Um, but, you know, it certainly wasn't a terrible weekend compared to Sergio. I mean, Sergio had a horror show of a weekend. I mean, he qualified fifth behind both uh, Botas and Leclerc, uh, was some way behind his teammate, obviously, and then dropped it on the exit of Beckett's fairly early in the race. On his own. It? Yeah, on, on his own. own. Um, and was very lucky not to, not to, not to bin it entirely. Um, just managed to keep it out. I mean, he, he was close. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, he, he, they actually retired the car so then they could make changes to it and, and improve the, well, they basically changed the rear wing to a lower downforce wing to give him more chance of making passes in the race. But, and he, so he started from the pit lane um, and that didn't go so well either. So Sergio had a really poor weekend, which, which compounded Red Bull's issues over the, over the course of the weekend. But we'll come on to that in a minute. But uh, weird, I mean, because he has been doing well, as we've discussed previously, but he was anonymous and, and poor by his standards. He was not anonymous. I completely disagree with that. He was very <laughs> noticeably bad. <laughs> that, was, that was dreadful for him, I thought. And uh, I was uh, disappointed to see that things unfolded the way it is. I mean, I think, you know, I'm willing to call that at least partially bad luck, but still, it was uh, it was not master class, certainly. Bad luck for dropping it on your own on the exit of Beckett's. What, where was the bad luck there? He his foot was heavier than he remembered, <laughs> and that's unlucky. He had he had a heavy foot day. That happens to the best of us. Okay. Um. But yeah, I mean, so obviously the other part of sprint sprint qualifying was uh, Lewis Hamilton from pole had you just face it he had a pretty dreadful start. Awful from the, start from yeah. the green flag. Yeah, and Verstappen had uh, a great one. Yeah. And Verstappen just just he just walked right away from Hamilton at the beginning, and then Hamilton had the speed to attack back, but Verstappen defended well, and and then after maybe the second or third lap, it was effectively game over. I mean, Verstappen had full control of the remaining whatever fifteen laps or so once Hamilton's attempts proved not enough. Yeah, I think the, the thing we need to talk about there is that obviously Verstappen made a, a blinding start, uh, got into the lead uh, through the first turn, um, was quite robust in his defence, certainly through the, the Brooklyn's Luffield complex, uh, Woodcut and Cops. And, and then Hamilton was never able to get close enough to have another attempt during the 17 laps. He closed it at the end, but I think uh, Verstappen was just uh, easing off. Well, I mean, Verstappen was getting, he was hearing from uh, his team to, hey, stay off the curbs, protect the car. Those, I mean, he was very much minding the car in those last several laps. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he had it won, didn't he? And I was slightly surprised at how uh, feisty Verstappen was on that first lap. And that sort of set us up for the following day, didn't it? Uh, he certainly seemed to want to to win at Silverstone, I think is, is, is a fairly safe statement to make. Um, I don't know quite why he was that motivated, but anyway, I mean, he did, a, he, he did very well in the sprint, controlled it, as you said. Uh, Hamilton never looked likely to, uh, to, to pass him at any point during the sprint. Um, Botas was, was fairly, put in the shade really wasn't he by those two uh, but 
managed to keep ahead of Charles, who was who was going nicely in the sprint, and and uh, obviously foretold the following day's activities again. And then Norris and Ricardo got fifth and sixth. So um, yeah, I didn't I didn't think it was the worst seventeen laps of Formula One action I'd ever seen, honestly. What but certainly not the best th- either. <laughs> what did you think of the the lorry ride? That after? was awful. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, what the hell was the deal with the lorry? I mean, I didn't understand why it just wasn't an open flatbed lorry trailer with railings around it. Why do they have to put a roof on there? Hey, 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 hey. Sunburn is a real thing, sir. Even in England. (laughs) Yeah, I would have been a lot happier if they had like a nice little iced tea bar. But uh, but, uh, yeah, no, it it, it was bizarre. I, I mean, okay. I have a lot of respect and a lot of love for Jensen Button. And I think that given the circumstances he was in, that he generally did a good job uh, interviewing the top three uh, qualifiers. But, boy, it was odd. I mean, it was really odd. And you could see that uh, they were getting jostled around a bit, too. There were a couple of <laughs> a couple of times where everyone kind of went, whoa. <laughs> so... Well- and then you, they, they gave the taken, wreath, and that took away from the wreath ceremony. I just thought it was odd. Yeah, and you've taken three competitors that are all processing what's just happened. And, and Hamilton was clearly steaming that he was no longer going to be on pole for the Grand Prix um, and was pissed with himself with the start he'd made, but couldn't quite understand why he was so poor. And now you've, you've trapped them in, in the back of a truck with a camera crew and uh, an interviewer for... Basically, the slowest lap of Silverstone they'll ever undertake. It was it was really worth bidding off. Uh, if they do if they do persist with the sprint, they should they should change that immediately. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Sunday comes, the first lap comes, and <laughs> I want to actually start with your clairvoyance, Chris. Several grom, several episodes, several podcast episodes ago, you said if Max Verstappen keeps being this aggressive, there's going to be a point where Lewis Hamilton, one way or the other, shuts the door, no longer gives room, no longer accepts. And I watched this unfold, and I remember your not Cockney, which is disappointing, English accent. <laughs> humming in my ears of the you're like yeah Lewis isn't going to be able to have the patience for this much longer and absolutely sure enough that's exactly what happened Lewis Hamilton was no longer willing to give an inch when it came to first lap competition there was definitely aggressive racing going on from Max again fair I would argue but um, but aggressive again and i think it was just it was just kind of building up and reached a boiling point and hamilton wasn't going to take it anymore especially at his home race i i couldn't agree uh with you anymore i mean you you just have to wonder what on earth verstappen and red bull are thinking you've got a 33 point lead right you've got a guy at his home grand prix in front of 140,000 of his countrymen and you're going to defend like that on the first lap and not expect to be hit, you are a moron. I have no other word to say. And I think part of the anger we saw from from the Red Bull team and and obviously Max via Twitter was I think they realized their mistake. You could push a guy to a, to a point and then, you know, we all know Hamilton's record. He's been fairly generous in the last couple of years because he hasn't had to race Max that hard because he was trying to win a championship. The dynamic has changed. The guy's got nothing to lose. He's 33 points behind. He wants to win the championship. The only person who has anything to lose in that scenario of them crashing is Verstappen, really. I mean, it was just a nightmare scenario for Max. And I'm very happy that he's perfectly well because it was a heavy old shunt. Nobody likes to see that. Nobody likes to see a guy carted off in an ambulance. That was high speed. That was was high speed. And then it came to an abrupt start. Stop. No, that was... By far the best part about it was that he got out of the car on his own effort because that was a big hit. But the thing that amazed me more than anything was why they hadn't already hit each other before they got to cops because they could have hit each other four or five times before then. 
that that is a classic Chris Roche. It's like I'm amazed they got to cops before they hit each other. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you know, again, you look at the circumstances. It's Hamilton's home race. Hamilton had pole in the traditional sense, and it was taken from him from a bad start. And Hamilton had a much better launch in the Grand Prix itself and had a nose ahead of Verstappen, but Verstappen defended aggressively, as he is known to do. And uh, But Hamilton was right there, and it was like Verstappen had tempted the beast too many times. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I... I mean, we saw last year how, uh, sorry, not last year, in 2019, how Charles Leclerc changed his driving style with Max after the incident in, in Austria, where Max ran him off the road. And Leclerc certainly was never mugged like that again uh, when he had a competitive Ferrari. Uh, you know, I remember his robust defense on Hamilton at Monza, right? He was like, oh, these are the rules, are they? I can push you off the track. Okay, well, I'm going to have some of that too. And um, I mean... Verstappen's defense at the end of the Wellington Strait into Brooklands was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And Hamilton, you know, let him get away with it. And I, and because, obviously, he still thought that there was a way to do it cleanly. And, and to put it into context, because there's been an awful lot of nonsense talked about this incident. I mean, what the hell Christian Horner's saying about no one ever has overtaken into cops is utter trash. It's just rubbish. And it's been Well, refuted. Hamilton did it two more times in that race. Yeah, but let's take Hamilton out of, out of it. There's a lot of people who pass people in Cops Corner, uh, and you can listen to anybody else in Great Britain who'll tell you that, who's ever been to Silverstone and watched, watched any level of motorsport there. Um, I, and it just... Well, as it, Christian Horner, as, as an Austrian man who just <laughs> has a Red Bull morning, noon, and night, he's just unfamiliar with the ways of the English. Well, I think he's part Dutch as well, but... Anyway, I mean, he was coming out with such... <laughs> yeah, I did see a lot of orange. That's, that's true. Um, I, I thought it was papaya for a moment, but you're right. It was a, he's, he's Dutch-Austrian, a very common... But his inflammatory there. remarks, you know, made you think that Hamilton had done a Senna on Prost in, at, at Suzuka in 90, where he basically just turned his car into a missile, had no intention of making the turn, and only wanted to just take out his, his opponent. Or you could cite Schumacher and Villeneuve you know, in 97. I mean, those are heinous acts where you have no intention of making the turn. You're literally just trying to eliminate your opponent. Now, Hamilton was trying to make the pass in, in, in Cops and he damaged his car in doing so. They, they were racing side by side. They needed to give each other room. And Verstappen, I mean, there was a lot made of the in-car of Verstappen when he, he, he's turning, obviously, right hand down for the corner and then makes a momentary straightening of the wheel and then applies lock again as if somehow that was giving Hamilton room you can see from the overhead he's taking the line through cops as if Hamilton's not there I mean it's ridiculous so Hamilton somehow had to you know completely come to a halt to allow him to make the turn or ride the curb on the inside which at that speed's kind of hard to do I mean it's a racing incident it's two guys not giving any quarter trying to get the move done or hold position and neither giving an inch and they're coming together that is the definition of a racing incident and that is it I mean Hamilton shouldn't have got a penalty I'm actually glad he did because if he hadn't got the penalty and won the race then everyone would have been up in arms and there would have been all sorts of disputes they gave him the penalty and he went and won the race anyway so I think that actually puts an end to it in my mind uh, but, but this... the penalty wasn't harsh enough Chris well here, here is what was interesting I found it fascinating. So the stewards had a fair amount of flexibility here. They could have given him a five-second penalty, a 10-second penalty, a stop-and-go, or a stop-and-go with 10 seconds. And they chose the second lightest of those penalties. And there does seem to be this kind of, like, look, Verstappen ended up in the wall, 51 Gs, obviously. What's that got to do with anything? What's that? Well, Why is that relevant? It's not, but other than the emotional toll that's going to take... We're all human beings, and Verstappen ended up in the wall, dizzy, 
on his way to the hospital for precautionary checks. Yeah. So the penalty is now a sliding scale based on the speed of the corner and what's on the outside of the corner and what damage is incurred to the car that's affected. Is that how the penalties work? The penalty is applied by human beings and human <laughs> beings are affected by human emotion. You wouldn't understand, Chris, because you're a computer. And <laughs> but that's how humans react. But here's so my point is there's still going to be arguments about, and Christian Horner has already made it, in fact, that the penalty should have been harsher. But it was interesting. There was this uh, video put on by Will Buxton and Lawrence uh, Barreto after the race, and they had a discussion. And it was fascinating because Lawrence Barreto said the, ra- the accident was Max Verstappen's fault. He thought that Verstappen... Uh, turned into harsh and should have given more room. Uh, Will Buxton was like, Will Buxton thought, hey, this is a racing incident, just as you described it. But it was fascinating to me that we're in this really weird place where the tensions are running so high because, not because of the accident or the actual driving maneuvers itself, but what's at stake tied to those maneuvers because of the two people that made those maneuvers and because they were making them from first and second place. And it's been fascinating to see just how dug in the heels Red Bull has become. Helmut Marco is talking about uh, Hamilton deserves a race suspension. Christian Horner has been up in arms over and over and over again repeating these things. I'm just really fascinated but just how serious Red Bull is taking this Here's where I'm struggling. Is this emotions are running high? Again, we're talking about human beings, Chris. Are the emotions running high because this is your driver that had this accident and it was your car that got the damage? Or is this part of the theater to make sure that Dieter Magistus is happy? Is like, look, we're doing everything we can to make a fuss about this. If you put yourself in Christian's shoes for a minute... Um, and I'm not a big fan of Jerry Horner, so I wouldn't want to be in his shoes for that long. But anyway, I've always preferred uh, Sporty Spice. Or was it Scary Spice? I, I can never remember. <laughs> but anyway, um, I digress. So I, think, I can understand. I think she was. I think she was, uh, think she was uh, cumin. She was cumin spice. <laughs> That's right. Or paprika. It was pa- paprika spice. That's what it was. But. You've just lost a car, your driver's in the hospital, you're going to be pretty pissed, right? And I can understand him coming out with all sorts of nonsense. Fortunately, he seems to have stopped now. I mean, it was pretty full-on while the race was on and, and post-race. He was he was clearly upset, and, and I, I get that. Um, I think in the cold light of day, he'll hopefully have a slightly more tempered opinion. I think reality is... You've been thrashed by Mercedes for the last seven years and you've fed off, you know, whatever scraps they've let you have with the odd win here. You're in an unbelievable position through your own efforts and hard work with a great driver to win the title and to dethrone Mercedes during this hybrid era. And you've just shot yourself in the foot big time. There's no other way you could put it. You've just thrown away, you know, 25 points. Uh, I mean, they did not score a point at Silverstone when they really should have been scoring 30-plus. And here's well, the thing. but what they did, did what? real quick, the, I have to mention, because this was shrewd on Red Bull's part, is they had Sergio Perez go out and set fastest lap at the end of the race, way down in 16th place. He doesn't get a point, but he did successfully take a point away from Lewis Hamilton because Lewis Hamilton had the fastest lap until... Uh, Sergio went out on softs with, you know, five laps to go or whatever it was. Which is very interesting because that, that means that they're prioritizing the driver's championship over the constructor's championship because Sergio is going to score points before they pitted him again. So they oh, give him away. I thought he yeah. was out of the points. No, oh, he was, he? was going to score points and they pitted him to get the fastest lap off Lewis, which he didn't get a point for, for that. So they came away completely scoreless. And so now the constructor's championship is down to four points. Now, it wasn't going to be. He wasn't going to score much, but I thought that was really an odd decision. But here's the thing. So let's let's play back 
why why is Max being so aggressive on lap one? I still don't understand it. It's like he's winning. It's like this is the championship decider. We're into the final race of the season and he's got to win it to land the championship type driving to me. At the end of the day, if he loses, if he, if he gives Hamilton more space through cops and loses first place, then he's still in second and he's going to comfortably get at least 18 points, isn't he? And in reality, you're only on lap one. He's got 51 laps and he's probably going to have a good shot at leapfrogging <laughs> Hamilton through the pit stops anyway. So well, I just and don't he understand did get, that. Mentality. He got the three points versus Hamilton's two already yeah. at the sprint qualifying. That's right. So. He'd already gained a point. But I just don't get that mentality of that completely ragged edge defense on lap one of a race that really is just any other Grand Prix. You're, all you're trying to do to become champion is points accumulation. Of course, you're trying to win races, but some days you have to recognize. You know, it's better to finish second or maybe third and still score good points. Hamilton's already said that at times this, this, this season. When it hasn't gone his way, he's like, well, we still scored good points, right? We're still in the fight. And they've completely now undone all their good work over the last four or five Grand Prix. It's now eight points in the Drivers' Championship, four in the Constructors. And it's almost back to level pegging. And it just doesn't, I just can't compute it because they're such a smart team. They have incredible strategies. Why they wouldn't tell him to just go a little easy on the first couple of laps when they know that Hamilton's probably going to be pretty racy and he may try something on because that's exactly what he did in the sprint. Uh, it just I just don't understand their mentality at all. And that, I think, has fed some of the anger. I think they realized they made a colossal error and they should have told Verstappen to calm down. Now for the moment where I play devil's advocate. Good. I was hoping you would. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Christopher, you're wrong about everything. Clearly, uh-huh. this was 100% Hamilton's fault. Mm. In all seriousness, though, so I have I, I I have a couple of points to make here. Hamilton was never fully side by side with Verstappen in cops, and Hamilton did run wide of the apex in cops. Hamilton, he wasn't drifting far from it. I'm not arguing that, but Hamilton was not, and never was going to get to the apex of cops. So Hamilton did run wide, and that was a high-risk scenario. That, those things are absolutely true. And if you look at it, Hamilton didn't get that corner. Okay, but hang on a second. So clearly when two cars are racing each other on lap one, they're not going to be taking a normal classical line, are they, on any of those corners? They didn't take a classical line through Brooklands. They didn't take the normal line through Luffield. Um, I mean, certainly they didn't take the, the right line even down the old pit straight because Verstappen was sat right in the middle and gave Hamilton a Mercedes width and about a, a millimeter, which he still managed to squeeze, <laughs> squeeze down. To expect Hamilton to be, uh, there's no doubt he could have maybe been a little tighter. It's a late apex corner, cops, and he was far on the inside, and he probably took maybe a little bit more room than. He could have done. But, you know, the same could be said of Verstappen. He was taking a tighter line than he could have done, as ably demonstrated by Charles Leclerc about 50-odd laps later. You know, it's possible to take a wider line through Cops. Unfortunately, he got over the curbs, and that obviously hindered his exit. But what he was trying to do was take a wide line to give them both racing room and both come out the other side of the corner and still give himself a shot of retaining the lead. And that's my point, is whether we argue about... You know, if it was 51% Hamilton's fault or, or Verstappen's, I just don't understand why you're racing that hard as Max Verstappen, why you don't see the bigger picture, because that's what he's missed. He's fighting for that corner as if his life depended on it and his championship depended on it when it didn't. He'd be much smarter to, to take a slightly different line, come out the other side, and he would be in a much happier place, regardless of whether he came first or second in the championship today. So I, I just don't understand that mentality. And if he's going to double down on it for the rest of the season, I think that actually opens the door to Hamilton to win his title, his eighth title this year. Because Max needs to just calm down and keep letting you know the, the very mature drives we saw earlier in the season, including the, you know, the double win in Austria, that's what's going to win in the title. Driving like that through Cops is going to lose him the title. You had a clairvoyant moment several podcasts ago that I mentioned earlier in this episode. Maybe 
I'll mention what you just said uh, several episodes later as the championship's winding down. It's like, up, oh, Chris, Chris called it. Um, I'm curious, how much do you think age played a role here? You know, how old is Lewis Hamilton? Is he 37 now, 38? Um, I, he was born in 83 or 85? Doesn't matter. Hamilton is older questions than I don't know off the top of my head. I do yeah, apologize. Hamilton, I, well, I assumed you knew his birthday and birth date, but uh, <laughs> Hamilton is much older than uh, than Max Verstappen is the point. How much do you think age and maturity played a role? Because what is Max Verstappen now, 22, 23 years old? Yeah, he's still a, a relative babe, isn't he? But um, the, the irony is, is that Max has looked incredibly mature and incredibly calm up until that point you know he's been saying i'm going to take this one race at a time i'm not going to get ahead of myself they're you know they're still in this in this fight you know nothing's won until it's won those are all the things you would hope someone in his position would say and again it just he's got to then translate that into his on-track action and i think ultimately you can be very hard in your racing when you literally have nothing to lose and you're willing to to crash uh, to, to, to gain a place. And that's essentially his been a style up to this point. But now he needs to moderate it if he wants to win a championship. And everyone goes through that, right? Senna did. Um, I guess Schumacher never did. But, but many, of the greats, <laughs> many, many of the greats went maybe, through that Maybe Mick will process. someday. Maybe, that's a, maybe it's a generation thing. It skipped a generation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's really... It's it's really odd, and of course, you know the the opinions are divided over you know whether you're a Hamilton fan or a or, or a Verstappen fan, or Dutch or British. I mean, it's all a bit ridiculous, really. I mean, ultimately, it's a racing incident. We and and, and I think the the ultimate winner here is Formula One, because that incident has ignited the championship. You know, it looked like it was dying on us up until Silverstone. Now it's completely, you know. Uh, come back to life and uh, we you know no one's talking about the sprint anymore everyone's talking about this battle and that's how it should be it should be about a battle between you know the two best drivers in the sport at the moment and how it's going to play out for the remainder and the balance of the season and it's going to be great to watch i i think you're absolutely <laughs> right i mean I'll, I'll tell you that i'm already i'm already imagining how Netflix Drive to Survive is going to play this thing and they're going to wind this thing up big time I hope that Drive to Survive spends at least 10 minutes on the lorry ride that everyone took <laughs> after the spring qualifying event. Um, so other things did happen in this race, um, mm. and some of them were really quite surprising. Leclerc was fast. So in this whole incident, um, Charles uh, sneaked around Hamilton. Obviously, Hamilton lost speed with the impact with Verstappen. And uh, Verstappen snuck, uh, I'm sorry, uh, and Leclerc snuck into the inside at the exit of Cops as a result and held the race lead for a good, f what, 49 laps. I, that Ferrari was impressively quick and much faster than I think anybody was expecting. Yeah, absolutely. It was a really impressive drive by him in the Ferrari. I d they seem to have really turned a corner after their lamentable French Grand Prix, haven't they? And and they've found some pace from somewhere. Um, yeah, I mean, you kind of wonder if he might not have won the race if he hadn't had those you know, power unit mapping issues and if they'd sort of taken Hamilton's threat a little bit earlier because it sounded like Charles had some pace in his pocket at, at points during the race but wasn't was quite happy to run you know to the lap time he was set. And maybe if they'd realized how much inherent pace Hamilton and Mercedes really had once they were in clear air, they might have they might have tried a little bit because they weren't far off from winning it, were they? I mean, two and a half laps. If you adjust that, you find another four or five seconds over the course of the Grand Prix, that might have been enough to win it for them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, really mature drive from him. Really impressive from Ferrari. Uh, I mean, what a what, and, what a and turn real, up. we have to Carlos Sainz ended up, you know. He had the issue in the sprint qualifying that it put him down some. He ended up finishing sixth in the Grand Prix. Not stellar, but respectable well, I think he considering had, the weekend. Yeah, I think he had better pace than sixth, didn't he? But he just couldn't find a way past Dana Ricciardo, who was, you know, really doing a good job defending. Um, 
And, and, uh, and that's going to be – sorry to jump in there, but that's going to be, I think, for the second year in a row, watching McLaren's title fight, Constructors' Championship title fight, is going to be really interesting. Last year it was with Racing Point. This year with Ferrari – but the battle for third in the constructors is going to be really fascinating to watch. Yeah, I mean, Daniel had a good, a much better weekend. He was right on Norris's pace in quali, um, was able to, to stick with him through the sprint. Uh, lost a little bit in the race. I think he finished something like 15 seconds behind, didn't he? But, but still a big step forward for Daniel relative to some of his past uh, Grand Prix this, this year for McLaren. Um, yeah, it's a ding-dong battle between Ferrari and McLaren. It's very cool to see. But Carlos definitely, I think, probably maybe Norris was a bit far ahead. He should have finished fifth. But, uh, yeah, he just he'd had too many problems. I don't think he was really ever quite on Charles's pace, though, was he, over the weekend? But still, I mean, it was a, it was a decent effort from him. Yeah, it wasn't far off it, certainly. Um, but, yeah, right now, as it stands right now, McLaren Mercedes has 163 points. Ferrari 148 and they are now battling each other in the Constructors Championship and battling each other on track. Just as you said Daniel Ricciardo, much better result. You know, he's considering where he was a few Grand Prix ago you know, this is definitely progress. It's definitely going in the right direction and he's still you know, you listen to his interviews afterwards He's still focused on the places where he doesn't quite have the same pace yet. But, you know, I think that he's going in the right direction. And I'm hoping that he's going to be right there or thereabouts um, more consistently going forward. And that's going to help McLaren keep an edge on Ferrari. But Ferrari, the fa- I mean, Leclerc legitimately had a shot at winning this race, had a couple of things gone slightly differently. Yeah, I mean, that one one second a lap delta between him and Hamilton for a long portion of the latter half of the Grand Prix was pretty disturbing. I think it does temper our belief that Ferrari are back as genuine contenders. But for sure, that was that was impressive. Who would have thought they'd come so close to winning Silverstone? I certainly didn't before the Grand Prix. So another driver we really have to talk about is, and you're going to love this, Esteban Ocon. Oh, hang on, Alpine. hang on, hang on. Yeah. we got to talk about Botas before Ocon, surely. Well, oh, sure. Valtteri Botas is a driver from Finland. He's the second <laughs> driver for Mercedes, and he was also in the race. What What else is there to say? No, I think you nailed it. I mean, really, you could have... You could almost think he wasn't there, other than he got, got the lorry ride, of course. He got um, the ball. He, I mean, he did. He finished on the podium. But why Solid was he points. so slow? He was miles off the pace. Ah, come on. He wasn't miles off. He was kilometers oh, he was off. off. That's a big difference. <laughs> I mean, uh, listen, there was no announcement of second driver for Mercedes next year. That was teased. That never happened unless I missed something. No, there wasn't. Um, but I think that there's, a, there's a need to be. I mean, who on earth would sign Valtteri Botos for another season after that weekend? Oh, it's poor. I mean, Toto surprisingly did say he thought he'd had a fantastic weekend. Uh, maybe he was playing darts in the evening or something. And he'd done really, like a score to 180, but it certainly wasn't behind the wheel. I mean, he, you know, he, he did follow team orders and let Lewis pass in the race, but I think that would have happened fairly comfortably anyway. At the entry of cops, I'm sure. Why, why is a guy who uh, is in the second quickest car or maybe you could argue the first quickest car, not competing for the win when the two top drivers are tripping over each other. Surely you should be right there picking up the pieces and he should have been in Leclerc's position, surely. He should have been off like a like a hare down the road, putting in a 30-second gap. So we mentioned that Christian Horner is off your Christmas <laughs> card list. Is Botas off your Christmas card list? Did he, did he offend you at some time? Well, look, you brought up Ocon. We know for a fact that drivers up their game at contract negotiation time. Botas seems to have dropped his. I mean, what is going on? Does he want a seat for next year? Yeah, so Valtteri Botas, if you're listening, uh, I don't think you should expect a Christmas card from Mr. Roche. Just, just, uh, just giving you the heads up now. All right, talk about Ocon then. What are we? He got? ended I, up I, on the podium. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not as. I don't have the same, you know, is he as quick as Hamilton? No. 
Did he have a standout performance like Leclerc? No. Should he have been closer? Yes. But he finished third. He was on the podium. He did his job. He did what he was told to do. I don't think it was that far off from what Mercedes would expect. Well, he did a better job than Perez. I'll give you that. But I don't think being beaten by a Ferrari is Perez had fastest lap of the race, Chris. Did you have fastest lap of the race? No. Come on. All right. So how much would you bet on Leclerc beating Botas around Silverstone prior to the Grand Prix weekend? I would have bet nothing. I wouldn't have Top five drivers ranked right away. (laughs) First, George Russell. Second, Lando Norris. Third, Sergio Perez. Fourth, uh, uh, Valtteri Botas. Fifth, Fernando Alonso. Neither Max Verstappen or Lewis Hamilton are even in my top five, Chris. Wow. That's controversial. Yeah. Yeah. What? Uh, that's gin and tonic talking. What are you going to say to that? I'm going to say, why do you want to talk about Ocon who finished ninth, two places behind his teammate who outdrove him all weekend? Because Ocon got an entirely new chassis this weekend. Alpine gave him an entirely new car, and wow, that was nice. And he was he was not as quick as Alonso, but to be fair, Alonso had been shaking off rust, and he continues to shake off rust. And Alonso had that mega sprint qualifying, and Esteban Ocon was a lot better than he had been last couple of Grand Prix. So we finished ninth. He got a couple of points in this race, not outstanding certainly, but way better than he had been at the French Grand Prix. Or either Austrian Grand Prix. I mean, he, this is certainly an improvement. Okay, so let me let me ask you this. So let's assume for a second that Alpine is a top team, which I think is a bit of a stretch, but they are a manufacturer-supported team, so they should be. So which other driver from a top team did he beat? He beat both Alfa Romeo drivers. Check and mate, Chris. Not a top team. So he beat both Hazes. I mean, the only top driver he beat was Perez, who, as we know, pitted 14 times so he could get fastest lap. So the bottom line is, no, not a great performance. He finished last of the top runners. There you go. No, Chris, you're wrong. The bottom line is he's got a new three-year contract. (laughs) (laughs) That's certainly the bottom line for him and his family. Well done. It it doesn't matter. I mean, but I mean, uh, but here's what I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, his performance wasn't outstanding this no, last Grand Prix right. weekend, but it was a huge improvement over the last few Grand Prix, and right. and they gave him an entirely new chassis. I mean, that's that's commitment from the team's point of view. If the so driver says, "I don't like this car," and they said, "Okay, we'll build you a new one," you got to give. Yeah, that's that's commitment from the team. So what you're saying is, in that Alpine, he could probably win an F2 race. Maybe. <laughs> well, I mean, he'd be on the podium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I was Alpine, I'd be asking my lawyers how to get out of that contract. That's that's my view. Yeah, sadly, with the budget caps, I don't know if they can afford lawyers anymore. You've got to find... <laughs> well, they can afford a new chassis. That's a so, few million right there. What other aspects of this race stood out for you, if anything? Well, I think that's about it, really. I mean, the, the bottom order was the bottom order. That, I mean, that was Lewis Hamilton's eighth, eighth British Grand, Grand Prix, Prix win. win. Yep. And his 99th Formula One Grand Prix win. That's, that's such an insane... I mean, what, what an incredible number. I mean, honestly, I mean, taking away everything else that happened, 99 Grand Prix wins. That, uh, what a number. Yeah, it's uh, it's astonishing, really. Um, I, I still don't think he's going to win the title this year. I think he's given himself a chance now. I don't think he's going to win the title, though. I just don't think Mercedes... I mean, Mercedes brought upgrades to this race, but didn't really transform the pace of the car, did it, around a track that's historically been you know, one of their stronger ones. So I think I think essentially, you know, Red Bull and Honda, you know, fair play have done a better job with the with the regulation changes and all the other myriad of things that are going on. They've pulled a blinder, and I think they should if they don't keep doing daft things, canter to the championship. But uh, but what is clear now is Hamilton's not going to give up without a fight, and that's all we ever wanted, wasn't it? We wanted the seven-time world champion to fight for his eighth. 
and uh, and he certainly did that at Silverstone. Yeah, no, that's true. Well, you mentioned the strength of Red Bull and Honda. It's so funny you say that because my latest YouTube video was about the 2022 Honda Civic. Hey, segue. The 2022 Honda Civic is a, a brand new car on a new chassis with an updated engine. It is the 11th generation Honda Civic. Honda, Honda Civic has existed since 1972. It's been in the United States since 1973. That means it is 48 years old in the United States. That is old, and it is just kind of incredible. This 11th generation car is properly good, Chris. I, I, I couldn't believe how good of a car this was. I'm, I, I, you're laughing, but I'm serious. This is a compact car starting at $22,700, and it drove really, really well. Is it called the Honda Civic Segway? Because I think that's what you called it. <laughs> <laughs> mine, was actually called, mine was actually called the Honda Civic Touring. It was the top class of the car. Oh, wow. That was Came 22 on grand, 18-inch wheels, Chris. Same as an F1 car in 2022. That, that was $22,000 then, was it? No, 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 no. That was mine probably was grand. Mine was closer to the 30. Mine was 29,000 oh, and something. That's a lot of Top of the line, Pacific. Chris, 180 horsepower. That's more horsepower than the original Lotus Elise when it came out. <laughs> oh, but it probably weighs four tons. It, it is, well, it does weigh more than 3,000 pounds. That is a shame, but it is 3,077 pounds, if I'm remembering correctly. So at a weight-to-power ratio of around 17 to 1, which... If we're talking about the compact car class, that's really not bad. But what was seriously impressive about the car was just how easy it was to get to and just drive around the limit of this thing. It, I mean, this it was just really, really good communicative steering and suspension. You just absolutely knew where the car was at all points. So you could just hang around the limit all day, every day, and just have a ball. Did you it give was it the, the classic full... slow car fast kind of a thing. Did you give it the full test? How did it perform in the fast right-hander when being sideswiped by a Mercedes? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I will say this. I will tell you this much. I didn't even have to go to the hospital this weekend. <laughs> you didn't hit 51G in it then? No, no. Sadly, uh, the uh, tires I were on were not capable of 51 Gs, even if they were hit by a Mercedes-Benz. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it, seriously a really good car. And uh, I think that I show real excitement in the video. I say the word giddy in this video when I'm talking about myself. So here's that. how's that for you? I really hope you're not doing G&T car demos at the same time. No, the G&Ds come afterwards, and uh, it's been a great British Grand Prix. Obviously, there was lots to talk about, but most importantly, I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcasts. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com or do what Paul Pierre did and leave a comment on our Facebook page. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars, which Bernie Austin does. Thank you for that. And check out our Facebook page. Paul Peard, thank you very much, at facebook.com slash fwcars. Chris, what a great conversation. Yes, Robin, thank you very much. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. You know, Gunter Steiner does exactly that when he sees the last car pass the pits and, and then he, he counts to ten and then he sees his two cars. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>